you accept an odd request to go halfway across the world to star in a television series, cooking for people in Slovenia, a country that had previously barely scratched your consciousness. Weeks later, when you leave, this beautiful country has gotten completely under your skin. You have, so to speak, been seasoned by Slovenians. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. You know, there was one point at which uh, these uh, two old grandmas on the border of um, uh, Austria and Italy up in the uh, Julian Alps gave me a goat. They gave me a baby goat. I'd been born like earlier in the day. I'm holding this goat and I'm thinking, you know, all people I grew up with and, you know, if they could see me now holding this goat, they just wouldn't really know. Like, they're like, who is that guy? (laughs) So... You don't come from uh, an Italian ghetto in Hoboken, New Jersey, and find yourself holding a baby goat in, uh, in the Alps and then have a couple of pockets full of duck eggs and beans. <laughs> so. This week, Gina, the celebrity truffle dog, catching a steelhead trout in the Adriatic, tumbling down a mountain, and learning that the best ingredient is love. Join us around the dinner table during a journey from St. Paul, Minnesota to Ljubljana, Slovenia. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. These exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And Oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. Ooh, yes. My name is Lenny Russo, and I'm a chef. Uh, I live in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I was an ECA arts envoy in 2013. That was uh, Slovenia. I was there to engage the Slovenian uh, people in an intimate way regarding uh, food and culture and, and beverage. There was lots of beverage. And this came about in a very odd way. I got a, an email from the embassy in Ljubljana that said, greetings from Slovenia. So I thought for sure this was going to be somebody saying that he had been mugged by a Serb and was, uh, was in jail and needed my money. But it's, it turned out it was for real. I did, uh, did pull a sous chef into my office and say, hey, does this look like, a, like some kind of a con job? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, it does. The television show was called Seasoned by Americans. So really what it was, was it was about Slovenian ingredients encountered, appreciated, and then transformed by an American chef, an American palate, um, American creativity. And I think that for people in Slovenia who maybe hadn't really encountered very many Americans, and back then I don't know that that many Americans actually went to Slovenia. I think that, you know, maybe when they thought of America, they thought of McDonald's and fast food. And maybe they came to understand that, that we're as diverse a nation as maybe there has ever been. I think also they came to see that we're not 
that many of us are open, that we're an open people, that we're anxious to learn and connect and appreciate other people, that we're kind, uh, we're a kind nation, we care about others. I think that sometimes that gets lost. I, th I think that that maybe is something they, they took away from that, at least I hope it is. At least I hope it was from, from the segments that I filmed. We were filming for Slovenian television for uh, Pop TV, which I think is the uh, has the largest viewership in in the country, and and the show was split into two two portions of uh, I think four episodes each. Uh, one was uh, one was the eastern part of the country, and one was the western part of the country. There was a chef from North Carolina; uh, she was doing the uh, eastern part, and then I did the uh, western part of the country. So we had a lot of great stories we would we would go out and and probably visit three different locations and film them over the course of three days and then uh, gather all of the people from from each uh, segment and uh, meet at a goshtilna which um, for those who don't know what that is it's sort of like a tavern uh, rustic uh, locations with um, a relatively uh, a rustic uh, cooking facilities and a, a pretty um, a rustic uh, uh, population <laughs> so so it was always it was always interesting i never really knew what to anticipate until i showed up i don't want french fried potatoes red ripe tomatoes i'm never then they would, they would come together and we would, I would have ingredients that I had gathered at each of these locations and then I would host everyone and I would um, combine those ingredients to create a meal and um, put my own, my own take on it. So it was all meant to look like it happened in one day but um, uh, you know through the magic of television. So I remember one time we went out on a truffle hunt, speaking of the magic of television, uh, with, um, with Gina the truffle dog. And so, of course, we buried a truffle so that uh, Gina could find it and pick it up because, you know, we wanted to make sure we got a good shot. And we didn't want to walk around with the truffle dog for six hours. Later that evening, we were back in Ljubljana having dinner. My wife and I, we were talking about Gina and, and the truffles and, and the fact that there is a one, at least one type of truffle that's ripe every month of the year in Slovenia, which is it's kind of remarkable. So the waiter heard us uh, talking, asked me what I was doing there, and I told him I was a chef and you know what I was engaged in. And he asked me what we had done that day, and I said we went on a truffle hunt. And he said, with Gina? <laughs> so it's like, you know who the dog is? He said, oh yeah, she's a celebrity. So that's the kind of place it is where a truffle dog is, uh, is a top celebrity. If they had their own currency, she probably would, would end up on it. There were a number of days where we did some really cool stuff. We went down to Piran on the, uh, on the Adriatic coast. Slovenia is like New Hampshire. It's got this like little tiny, like, I don't know what it is. It's 30 miles of coastline, perhaps. So we went down there and um, we, were, we were supposed to, uh, supposed to get some fish. I was supposed to engage some fishermen and do some, some fishing myself. Well, actually, it was fake fishing. I had a pole that didn't have any bait on it that I had dropped in the water, and I was 
yelling at fishermen as they went out and wishing them good luck. At any rate, there was all this commotion at one point. It turned out that a fisherman had brought in a salmonoid, which they said he, he caught a salmon. No one, no one has, there hasn't been a salmon caught in these waters. I think they said seven years it had been since one was caught. And so they wanted to show it to me. So I looked at it, he said, it's a steelhead trout. And, and they had no idea what I was talking about. But we took the fish. Uh, so we invited the fishermen and I, I, um, I filleted the fish and it was steelhead trout, and, which apparently had come down the river and uh, to spawn, got into the Adriatic and uh, turned the wrong way, I guess, and there it was. And this guy just caught it by serendipity, pure serendipity, there it was. So uh, we did, yeah, we did something with that and with some really beautiful radicchio from the market in Ljubljana. And I, I pureed some potato from another farm and added the truffles. I finished it with this beautiful olive oil from Morgan. And I know that this particular producer won the gold in Milan in competition. But prior to winning the gold, I was there. And I remember saying to him that much to my chagrin, being of Italian descent, and particularly from Puglia, where a lot of olive oil is produced, that that was the finest olive oil I had ever tasted. Tasted. I used the lemon-infused oil uh, to top that particular dish, and I believe that we enjoyed it with a rosé from another vineyard that we saw was perched above Trieste. You could see Trieste from the vineyard. Uh, one of the things that really impressed me in, in Ljubljana was the marketplace. Just the incredible diversity of the food that was being produced and offered for sale, the fish coming in from the Adriatic, the fresh cheeses and the, the, the cream coming from the dairies, the meat, the, the sausage making, and then the just enormous um, diversity in the produce and the way that everything was being used, every piece of every animal, every vegetable scrap, every piece of grain, everything. Uh, there was just an, um, a reverence, I think, for the, uh, for the land uh, for the people who farm it. What I think what really, maybe what really impressed me was the fact that it was so bountiful and that uh, for the people who live there, it, that was not by any stretch of the imagination always the case. And we're not just talking about lean years when it was part of Yugoslavia, but we're talking about lean years uh, for hundreds of years uh, when uh, maybe the only thing that you could survive on was a local pear. When Yugoslavia fell apart and Slovenia finally gained its independence and there was, I don't know, almost a sort of um, like a renaissance as if, if they were reborn and you, could, you can still feel it when you go there. I think they're still discovering their potential as a people. One of the things that I, I tried to communicate to them was how wonderful they really truly are, how magnificent that country is and how 
incredible the people are and their resources. I think when you're a very small country in a very big world and there are superpowers that, that dwarf you, that, you know, that maybe you don't fully appreciate how really truly wonderful you are. And, and I wanted them to know that's how I felt. So I took a lot of opportunities to say that. The country made an enormous impression upon me. And I'm, I'm a lot richer and, and, and a lot happier uh, uh, for having been there and having done it. This is about um, connecting uh, and understanding their culture and then watching it as it's transformed by someone from another culture so that we can come together and create something different and beautiful and marvelous. And that's what we did. I got to meet a lot of fascinating people on that journey, not just in the city, but, but in the countryside. Actually, I think the people in the countryside were a little more fascinating than the people I met in the city. And then, and then just realizing how incredibly beautiful and rich their culture was and, and the country itself and the people were so warm and welcoming. Alesh Kostanchich from Movia Vineyard. We were we were at Movia twice. Uh, the first time was like a Fellini movie, the insanity of it all. And then the second time I, I came and cooked dinner, his wine cellar was the most remarkable place where there is no electricity. He believes that it, it ruins the wine. And, and we were down there uh, in this catacomb, basically. One point he said to me, what was, what's your vintage? I told him 1958, and he said, no, no, the year you were born, and I said 1958. So he took me to this corner of the, uh, of the wine cellar, uh, pulled back some cobwebs, and pulled out a 1958 Merlot uh, back from when uh, Slovenia was still part of Yugoslavia. It was in a 700 milliliter bottle, and we, we opened it up, and it was so incredibly fresh and bright and beautiful, I couldn't believe it. And so, of course, he's like, yeah, that's why there's no electricity down here. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but whatever the case was, it was remarkable wine. You know, we went to this Gostilna where um, uh, there was um, a guy who uh, had won the award for making the best sausage, yes. the best kielbasa. He also made his own schnapps, as does, uh, does everyone. Apparently everybody makes schnapps. So they wanted me to taste his schnapps and say how well, you know, toast each other as if it was, um, you know, the, the middle of the afternoon or late evening or something and uh, with, with the schnapps and, and eat, some, eat some sausage. Now it's probably about eight, nine o'clock in the morning, I'm guessing. We set the thing up, I do this hit of schnapps, you know, we toast each other, blah, blah, slap each other on the back. And then the director says, oh, no, nope. uh, a bird flew uh, into the frame. Uh, we gotta shoot that again. All right, tee up another shot of schnapps. Here we go, boom, nope, plane flew overhead. Uh, no, that's not gonna work. So now, now it's like now it's like time for the third shot of schnapps, and it's you know maybe it's it's maybe going on nine thirty, ten o'clock in the morning. So here I go again, and um, he didn't like a shadow, and I said, well, 
Unless you want me to pass out, uh, this is it. <laughs> That's your last take. Sausage was uh, pretty remarkable as well. So I ate a lot of great food while I was there. I ate a lot. I ate a lot of horse. That was that was fun. I, I used to eat horse when I was a kid because it was legal in New Jersey, and we were poor. And my mother used to serve it to us. It tells it was beef, but we knew she was lying. Then there was um, the time I almost got killed. So the plan was that in the morning I would tour this abandoned mercury mine and then I would get into a rally car, a souped up rat, which was a Yugo, and we were supposed to race it up, up the, this uh, uh, mountain in the Julian Alps. And, and then I was supposed to read from For Whom the Bell Tolls, from where Hemingway wrote it, or supposedly wrote it. And then we were supposed to go to Isha Franco, where I was supposed to cook with a top Slovenian chef who was a couple of years later named the top female chef in the, in the world. And so I was greatly looking forward to that remarkable day. I get in the rally car. You know, there's six point restraints and a roll bar and there's a helmet. I got my shades on, I have my Ray-Bans on. They're, they're telling the driver in Slovenian, uh, there's a camera on the dash and one on the side of the car, and then there are camera people at each hairpin turn, and that he's supposed to drive past all three of them and turn around and come back, and they're going to shoot it three times. Except I don't speak Slovenian, so I have no idea what they're saying to him. So I'm sitting in the car and giving them the thumbs up like it's Top Gun. I've never seen Top Gun, but I just imagine that that's what they did. They probably gave each other the thumbs up a lot when they were getting ready to do something stupid. So here we go. So we, we race up the mountain. He gets past the last camera person and he just keeps going. When we come around this hairpin turn and it's, it's early spring and there's still snow and mud and and he, um, he, he hits this patch of mud and there's no, there's no guardrails. You know, we're, we're above a ravine and he can't hold the road. And so we, we teeter for a moment on, on, on the edge of this cliff. And then we, we roll the car and, and flip it. We land about 200 meters down in a couple of meters of snow, remarkably not hitting any trees on the way down. It was weird because when I later saw it on film, you know, it happened so fast. But when it happened, it, it seemed like to take forever. Like I had plenty of time to consider the ramifications of what was about to happen. I see we're going to go over this cliff. I know we're going over. So I'm figuring I'm probably going to die. So over we go. And I'm keeping my eyes open because I want to see my demise. And it's... You know, just like you see in the movies when a car rolls over and all the glass shatters and it all seemed like it was happening like in slow motion. And we get to the bottom and of course, you know, I'm intact. And so is the driver. Uh, he's trying to get out the door. The doors are all smashed. We have to climb through the windshield. Getting down was the easy part. It was getting up, you know, the cliff face was hard. It was muddy. I'm grabbing rocks and tree limbs and I get myself up on the uh, roadbed and all I have is a walkie talkie to uh, communicate with the uh, 
with the base camp. It's full of mud. I shake all the mud out of it. I get it to work and I get the director, Peter, on the phone and on the horn. And he's like, uh, where are you? And so I tell him, uh, you know, we, we wrecked a car. It's totaled. It's bottom of ravine. And he said, no, really? And I had to repeat myself. And then he said, no, just where are you? And I said, I don't know, Peter. Just get in your car, drive up the side of the mountain. I said, we're the only Yugo in the bottom of a ravine. You can't miss us. It's red. So up he comes, and he's already really white. But now he's, like, super white because he's so freaked out. He's, like, like practically see-through. He's so pale. And he gives me a hug like I should be dead. And I'm like, no, I'm good. I said, don't tell my wife. She'll be freaked out. Wait till I get down there. So we didn't say anything to her. We were pretty sure you were dead. So you're talking to me on the walkie, so you knew I wasn't dead. He said, I wasn't counting on uh, the fact that you were going to survive after you talked to me. <laughs> so... So we get down there and I, they take me to the clinic because there's no hospital, it's this little town. It turned out that the uh, first camera operator, his sister was a nurse there and there's a doctor and there, a big fat guy smoking a cigarette. So my blood pressure's like 220 or something and he's all freaked out. He said, uh, yeah, you're, I can hear your heart valve clicking in there. You better have that checked out. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, you know, my pulse is like racing. <laughs> so anyway, they eventually uh, got me to the hospital in Ljubljana, where I think I ended up seeing three doctors and had a series of x-rays done and was given a prescription. And I was freaked out about how much money it was going to cost and was the uh, embassy picking up the tab, which turned out to be like 150 bucks. <laughs> I didn't get to go to Isha Franco. Uh, everyone blamed it on me. It wasn't my fault. I didn't drive over the cliff. I want to say that now for the record. <laughs> so I want to go back there. And that's an another thing left undone in my life that I need to complete. So I'm coming for you, Isha Franco. <laughs> They gave me a bunch of heirloom beans. I brought them back. I still have a lot of them. I, I gave some to a bean farmer uh, who grows heirloom beans for me here in the States, and she grows them. Uh, they gave me duck eggs, and uh, we made a large, uh, I made a large stew, kielbasa and heirloom beans with poached duck eggs. That was an interesting uh, one with the, with, the, with the kids show character who, the mountain man, <laughs> that was something. <laughs> with the... What was it, a whistle? What did he have, a kazoo? I, it was like, I don't remember what it was. I like pie, I like cake. I like everything you bake. I like your crackers too. I was shocked, one, with how good all the ingredients were and how remarkable the food was. I was particularly amazed at, like I said earlier, about Morgan and the quality of their olive oil, but all of the wines. We visited a bunch of wineries and they were remarkable. And their charcuterie was outstanding. Incredible cellars filled with prosciutto being you know, cured by the, by the Mistral 
and um, or the Buria, as they call it in in Slovenia, and it was just remarkable. And I met a bunch of like Slovenian chefs who were like enormously creative, like cutting edge, just remarkably adept and remarkably creative, and all within close proximity proximity of each other. Like I don't I don't have that here, you know, unless you go to like. New York or Chicago, where there's a bunch of people who are super creative, like within walking distance of each other, you don't actually see that level of creativity and enthusiasm for their craft. You know, to, to just just the pursuit of excellence was was remarkable, and everybody was so so anxious to show it, to communicate it. That was impactful for me to see it, inspiring. We're a giant agricultural state, the heartland of the country, which uh, which was the name of my restaurant, Heartland. My wife and I uh, had a restaurant for 14 years called Heartland. And what we did was we bought directly from uh, local farmers and artisans who practice sustainable agriculture, humane agriculture, and then, but more about, more than just sustaining the land and the air and the water, we want to sustain the people who live on the land. And so... So we strive to uh, engage our local people as much as possible. I feel like we're sitting on some of the best ingredients in the entire world, and we didn't have to reach far to, to find what we, what we could celebrate. And Heartland, much like this pro the project, was apolitical and secular. And for us, it was all about finding ground through food and, and beverage and sitting around a table and realizing that while we all have differences, we have way more things in common and way more things to agree upon and way more things that we would like to celebrate together. And so I took the spirit of that with me when I went to Slovenia. So I found it really... Uh, really refreshing to see that. It's sort of a weird dichotomy when I talk about how incredibly uh, strict they were when it came to whether or not you went one kilometer over the speed limit or um, crossed at a red light when there was nobody present. Uh, they were so inc incredibly open and progressive and uh, liberal when it came to the way that they um, uh, view their environment and, and the way that they, uh, the things that they chose to, to uh, enrich their lives and the things they found to be important. When I came back to St. Paul, which, which is kind of a Euro, it's kind of European and it's, you know, stylistically, it, it's small, it's, it's not built on a grid. It celebrates the old world in a way that um, more cosmopolitan uh, U.S. cities don't. So I wanted to make sure that I help preserve that spirit that exists in St. Paul, and and I wanted to think really hard about the the environmental issues and and one and and just sort of fantasize to an extent, I guess, on how our city could be more sustainable. And so I um, I did I did do a lot of work with the mayor's office in St. Paul on those issues when I came back because um, there's really nothing more critical in our lifetime, I think, than, than what we're facing, the challenges we're facing in the environment right now. So whatever we could do on a local level, like I felt would be really important, uh, seeing such a small 
country like Slovenia, basically the size of New Jersey, uh, doing things that uh, were impactful led me to believe that it doesn't have to happen in Washington, that it can happen on a local level and be, be impactful. You know, I have a set of values that I try and live my life by. The pursuit of lots of money is not really on the top of my list. Never has been. Things that are really important to me and how I like to think that my country, my um, tax dollars, uh, my government, my, uh, my people do is forging ties, appreciating our differences, and understanding how those differences come together to create something really beautiful. People too often look at those who are different and perceive a threat. I'm not that type of person. I see someone different and I perceive an opportunity uh, to grow and to learn. When I went to college, my goal wasn't to achieve a degree I was there in the pursuit of knowledge, and I think that my whole life has been kind of the same way. I really want to know as much as I possibly can. I want to fill my life with as many different experiences and enrich it in as many ways as I can because I believe in humanity. That's to be celebrated, and I think that our country needs to do more of that. I think that there are all those lofty reasons, but then again, there are practical reasons. There are practical reasons to make friends with other nations and to forge lasting ties and bonds because there's strength in numbers and we need as many friends as we possibly can in a very dangerous world. I think that reaching out across the ocean, across the world, across the planet to join hands with, with those that, that we maybe have never met reaps benefits and rewards beyond probably what we can truly measure or imagine. Twenty-two-thirty-three is produced by the Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name is Christopher Wurst. I'm the director of the Collaboratory. Twenty-two-thirty-three is named for Title Twenty-two, Chapter Thirty-three of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs.
This week, well-known American chef Lenny Russo talked about his time as an ECA arts envoy, practicing culinary diplomacy and becoming a TV star in Slovenia. For more about cultural programs, including the Arts Envoy and other ECA exchange programs, check out eca.state.gov. You can subscribe to 2233 wherever you find your podcast. We encourage you to do so. And hey, why not leave us a review while you're at it? And we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at ECA Collaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Photos of each week's interviewee and complete episode transcripts can be found on our webpage at eca.state.gov slash 2233. Very special thanks this week to my friend Lenny for sharing his story. May he yet dine at Hisha Franco. I did the interview and edited this episode. Featured music was Let's Go Around by Lobo Loco, Devil's Holiday by Benny Carter and his orchestra, Jordu by Clifford Brown and Max Roach, and Stardust by Oscar Pettiford. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came, and the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagir Lius. In addition, there were five songs from the soundtrack of the TV show that Lenny describes, Elemental Pie, The Frim Fram Sauce, Solze, Je Zenshi, oh man, my Slovene, Solze, Je Zenshinke, So, my Slovene friends are going to hate me. And both the English and Slovene versions of the TV show's theme song. I like pie, I like cake. Until next time, here is the Slovene version. Rada imam, tvoj kolač. Rada imam, tvoj kolač, gibanico koromač, zrizek in dušeni riš, čega srcem narediš. Продолжение